This morning in your Bible, in connection with the administration of the Lord's Supper, we would turn your attention to a reading from 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 12 through 21. If you're using the Bible in your pew this morning, you can find this on page 1,329. We'll read from 2 Corinthians 5, verses 12 through 21, but then I especially want to focus the words of our meditation this morning upon verse 21 itself. We are reminded here that we have the very Word of God itself given to us by inspiration, a Word that is therefore infallible and inerrant. We begin at verse 12 of 2 Corinthians 5. The Apostle Paul writes, For we do not commend ourselves again to you, but give you opportunity to boast on our behalf, that you may have an answer for those who boast in appearance and not in heart. For if we are beside ourselves, it is for God, or if we are of a sound mind, it is for you. For the love of Christ compels us, because we judge thus, that if Christ, if one died for all, then all died, and he died for all, that those who live should live no longer for themselves, but for him who died for them and rose again. Therefore, from now on, we regard no one according to the flesh. Even though we have known Christ according to the flesh, yet now we know him thus no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. Now all things are of God, who has reconciled us to himself through Jesus Christ and has given us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, not imputing their trespasses to them, and has committed to us the word of reconciliation. Now then, we are ambassadors for Christ. As though God were pleading through us, we implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. For he made him who knew no sin to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. Thus far our reading from Holy Scripture. Congregation of the Lord Jesus Christ, there is a dual emotion oftentimes in preaching. The dual emotion in the preacher's heart is that of earnestness, in the sense of we are compelled that we have to communicate eternal truths with you. Along with that emotion of an earnestness, there is also a joy, because we are compelled to communicate eternal truths to you, but they are great and glorious truths concerning the good news of the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. 2 Corinthians 5, verse 21 For he made him who knew no sin to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. What a glorious, glorious text of Holy Scripture. The Reformed commentator Kistemacher comments, this is one of the epistle's outstanding verses that summarize God's good news to sinners. And you and I, we have the opportunity this morning, fathom this, on a beautiful day, 
to rest from our earthly labors, to rest from our earthly troubles to a certain extent, and to gather ourselves together with our spiritual brothers and sisters who also love the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And we have the opportunity to gather around the Word and also around the sacrament to see visibly demonstrate us to the reality, the sign and the seal, that the body of our Lord Jesus Christ has been broken. And His blood has been shed for the full and free forgiveness of our sins. And so consider briefly this morning this theme over 2 Corinthians 5, verse 21, the great exchange, with a sub-theme, my sin for his righteousness. There is a book by this same title, although I haven't read it, The Great Exchange. Uh, there's also a contemporary Christian song. I wasn't aware of that until I wanted to make sure that I wouldn't be charged of plagiarism. There is a book and there is a song, but already Martin Luther himself in the 16th century commented on this passage and described it as the description of the wonderful exchange. My sin for his righteousness. Notice the persons and the objects and the result of this great exchange. First of all, the persons there is mention of the sinless Christ. And boys and girls, you know what an exchange is. You may have something, and maybe your brother or your sister has something else. And maybe you think, well, I would really like that. And maybe you think, maybe they would want what I have. And so maybe you trade. I'll give you this, you give me that. So there's, there's two people in this exchange we're talking about an exchange that has one person being the sinless Son of God. And the text emphasizes this all throughout Scripture. We just pick one passage, Hebrews 7, verse 26 and 27. For such a high priest was fitting for us, who is holy, harmless, undefiled, separate from sinners, and has become higher than the heavens. And so reflect upon that reality. It's, it's crucial, it's important for us as we grow in our understanding of Christian doctrine to rightly understand who Jesus Christ is. Yes, He is the eternal Son of God, but in the fullness of time He became incarnate. He took our very nature upon Himself, made like unto us in all points with the exception of sin, so that He is the innocent one. He is the holy one. There's not a spot, there's not a blemish in his entire person. He is the one person in this exchange. And our faith, that is our knowledge and our trust, must be firmly convinced that this is part of who he is. The Holy One. The Son of God. And so when we read in the text, and he made him, him who knew no sin. And by contrast, the second person in the great exchange is the believing sinner. The you, the me. And the text emphasizes the reality 
of the universal sinfulness of humanity. Romans 3 verse 23 echoes in its concise statement, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And while I readily recognize that preaching about sin and preaching about sinners in the church in our day is not so popular and it's not so common. I, for one, cannot escape the reality that Scripture paints this for us. And He made Him who knew no sin to be sin for us, for us who are sinners, for us who fall short of the glory of God. And there are one of two ways in which human individuals respond to the reality of the exposure of their sin. And this is captured by 1 John 1, verse 8 and 9. If we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. There are many individuals that when they are confronted with the biblical teaching about sin, they deny it. Maybe outright they deny it, and they emphasize only uh, the pretended potential of humanity, or perhaps they're more subtle in their denial. And they say, well, okay, maybe I fall short sometimes, but not as short as that other person. But then there is the spirit-worked response when we are confronted with the exposure of our sinfulness through the Word of God. And John also talks about that if we confess our sins. And that word confess means to say the same thing. If we will agree with the verdict of God's Word. And if we will say, yes, Father, I have sinned against you. Then John says, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. But notice that there is a third person in this great exchange. And that is the reconciling God. And this word reconciling is used repeatedly throughout verse 18, verse 19, verse 20. God, in the person of His Son, Jesus Christ, is reconciling bringing back together, bringing back together in a peaceful relationship himself and us through the work of his Son, Jesus Christ. Are you amazed by this? That the eternal God would desire to reconcile you to himself. And motivated merely by an infinite love, God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever should believe on him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. So you have the sinless Son of God, you have sinners being reconciled by God Himself. But notice the objects in the great exchange. By objects, and again, to go back to our analogy, boys and girls, maybe you have something that you own or that you have as your own, and your brother or sister has something that they have as their own, 
and, and you trade. So you give your object, what, what you have, you give that to your brother or your sister, and, and they have their object. Maybe it's a toy, maybe it's something that they've made, and, and they give that to you. So you exchange things, and there's an exchange of things, if we can call it that, going on in this text. The first object that is identified is the sin of the world. He, that is God himself, made him, the person of Jesus Christ, who knew no sin, he made him to be sin for us. Well, well how, did, how did God make Jesus Christ to be sin? N- not by any type of moral impurity, in Jesus Christ. So we just stressed, as Scripture stressed, that Jesus Christ is sinless. But God made Christ sin by way of an imputation or by way of a legal transfer of the guilt. And that's why John the Baptist in John 1 verse 29, with that wonderful proclamation, he says to all who would hear, all who would listen, the next day John saw Jesus coming toward him, and he said, behold, and that word means look, but look with perception, look with observation, look and recognize the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. He takes them away. How? Because the guilt has been transferred, has been taken off of us by God's gracious work of imputation, lifted off of our spiritual shoulders, lifted off of the soul, and placed upon Him this burden that you and I could never bear. An infinite debt to God's holiness. God, if we speak with an anthropomorphic figurative language, God takes the hand of grace and the hand of mercy and lifts up that burden off of our soul that would crush us into all of eternity, and He places it upon the shoulders of His Son. He made Him who knew no sin to be sin. And I readily Acknowledge we could never plumb the depths of all that is implied in that statement. Eternity itself will not exhaust the depths of grace and mercy and love. But what a wonderful exchange indeed this is. Isaiah 53, verse 6 and 11, And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. For he shall bear their iniquities. And the New Testament echoes the same Colossians 2, verse 13 and 14. And you being dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, he has made alive together with him, having forgiven you all trespasses, having wiped out the handwriting of requirements that was against us, which was contrary to us. And he, that is Jesus Christ, he has taken it out of the way having nailed it to the cross. And so the Christian can say, where is my guilt? It is nailed to the cross. Where are my sins? They're nailed to the cross because they were lifted off of me. I exchanged by the wonderful work of God, received by faith, I exchanged my sin for the righteousness of God. That's the second object, if you want to call it that, in the great exchange. 
theologians speak, and I hope as we mature in the faith, we understand what they're speaking of. Theologians speak of the passive obedience of Christ, His sufferings all throughout His life as they intensified near the end, especially in the Garden of Gethsemane, and upon the cross, and the hours of darkness as He suffered the infinite wrath of an almighty God. But theologians also speak, rightfully so, of the active obedience of Christ, where He kept, not on His own, or not for Himself, but He kept the law of God perfectly, as he was the mediator, as he was the representative. And that act of obedience is also then imputed, and is described here by Paul, as the righteousness of God. So, so here's, the, here's the amazing reality of the gospel. The believing Christian gives to Christ all of their guilt, And what does Christ give the believing Christian? All of his righteousness. Christ says, I will take all of your sin upon myself, and I will give you the perfect fulfillment of the law. Can you imagine a more glorious exchange? Christ, you you want my guilt? And you will give me your righteousness? And Christ says, exactly. Exactly. Why? Because of the love of God. Are you amazed this morning by the gospel of Jesus Christ? Well, notice thirdly the result of the great exchange. A perfect reconciliation through the forgiveness of sins. Now now we begin to cast an eye a little bit back in the context. Notice verse 19. That is that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, not imputing their trespasses to them. This is a perfect reconciliation. not imputing their trespasses to them. This is the reconciliation that brings about the reality of peace. And peace includes the absence of conflict, but it's not just the absence of conflict. In addition to the absence of conflict, it's also the experience of fellowship, of communion. The church father Augustine, to paraphrase, said that God has created us for himself and our hearts are restless until our hearts find rest in God himself. Uh, The hearts of humanity are restless until we find rest by being reconciled to God through the forgiveness of our sins based upon the work of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, alone. And I know I quote it frequently, but think once again of Romans 5, verse 1. And in a few moments, as you receive the bread, 
And as you receive the wine, remind yourself, based upon the great exchange, therefore having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. But notice that the Apostle Paul is pleading. Verse 20, now then we are ambassadors for Christ. We are representatives for Christ. We are heralds for Christ. We come, the gospel minister does, not with a message that they have concocted throughout the week. We do not speak anything of ourselves, at least we hope and we trust, and that's also why we have overseers in the congregation, elders, men who watch over the preaching of the Word to insist that what goes forth from this pulpit is only that which is revealed in Scripture. Paul says we are ambassadors. We come on behalf of Christ. And what is the message that the ambassadors of Christ bring? We implore you on behalf of Christ. So Christ also implores and imploring, this is that emotion of an earnest plea. This isn't just cold, abstract, disconnected transfer of some intellectual data. This is the heart of the Father. This is the heart of the Son. This is the heart of the Holy Spirit coming through the preaching of the gospel, beseeching, begging, urging, encouraging. Be reconciled to God. Now some may say, well, that, that, that applies, you know, maybe to the, the downcast on Skid Row or those notorious sinners out there in the world. But notice that Paul is writing to the church in Corinth. He's writing to the church. Now, the Corinthian church wasn't to take verse 20 and say, ah, now Paul has just switched gears. Now he's talking about those who are in the temple, uh, the, the pagan temple. Now he's talking about those who are engaged in all sorts of immorality. Paul is saying to all who would hear, be reconciled to God. And I, as your pastor, beg you, implore with you, if you're young, if you're old, if this is the 100th sermon you've heard, or if this is the 5,000th sermon you've heard, be reconciled to God through a personal exercise of faith in Jesus Christ. Because that personal exercise of faith is a continual exercise of faith. And we could, based upon this passage, describe faith as seeing the sinless Son of God and recognizing ourselves as sinners. Faith says, here I am. Lord, take my guilt. Take all of it. And give me your righteousness. 
This is the wonderful exchange, the great exchange. My sin for his righteousness. Thanks be to God. Amen. Our Father in heaven, words fail to express the sense of wonder that we have when we come to the essence of the gospel. We simply echo then what the Apostle John wrote, behold, what manner of love is this, that we should be called the sons of God, based upon this great exchange. We bask in the light of the glory of your grace and your mercy. We thank you for the provision of a Savior. And we ask that as our souls are comforted, that your name might be honored and glorified. And we do earnestly pray also, Lord, that as Jesus Christ is lifted up, that many might come to look upon him continually or perhaps for the first time this morning with the eyes of saving faith. For Jesus' sake, amen.